Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Kimchi, kombucha, sauerkraut, miso, and kefir. All fermented foods and drinks have been around for centuries, but suddenly they're all the rage, aren't they? The simple reason is that they are packed full of gut-healthy bacteria, and we are finally waking up to just how much the trillions of microorganisms that live in our guts contribute to our mental and physical health. Gut health is now strongly linked to our overall well-being, including weight management, energy, and stress. The thing is, unless you're fermenting foods for yourself, these products are not cheap. Yet at just £1.50 for a 350 gram pot of Yo Valley Kefir, this daily boost high in protein, low in fat and with natural and fruity flavours to choose from is in the yoghurt aisle at all the major supermarkets. To find out more, head over to yovalley.co.uk. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Pregnancy is one of the most incredible things the human body can do. Women's bodies undergo unbelievable changes, experiencing both amazing transformations and challenging symptoms. Every mother hopes for a healthy and happy pregnancy, but with so many elements involved throughout, knowing what the best practice is and routine to follow can be a serious challenge, particularly the first time around. So what exactly is the best approach to help ensure a safe pregnancy childbirth? And what impact can our actions have during those nine months on our baby? Joining me today on the podcast to help uncover everything is Professor Lucilla Poston, Head of Women and Children's Health at King's College London. Hello, Lucilla. Very good to be here. Thank you. 
Excellent. I think the first question, obviously, I'm five months pregnant at the moment. And as much as it's very exciting, there's also a lot of daunting things that can cross your mind. And can anyone ever really be prepared for childbirth for the first time? (laughs) (laughs) I think probably not, because it's a huge change for everyone. But, you know, in terms of health, there are things that we can do. At your stage in pregnancy, my recommendation is really common sense. You know, listen to your body, do what your body's saying. Mm -hmm. Attend all your antenatal appointments because that's really important. Don't skip on them. Uh, But, you know, general health, rest, good diet, um, not too many calories. You're not eating for two. Yes. In fact, that's one of the biggest misconceptions, I think, isn't it? It is. I think some people think it's a really good excuse for, for... having a really high calorific diet and eating anything you want, and that's absolutely not the case. In fact, it's a, it's a time when you should think about improving your diet and improving your diet for life because you're, you're the person who's going to be feeding your baby. So thinking about what you're going to be feeding the baby as he's growing up or she's growing up, it's really important. Family family diet, start thinking about it now. There, there is a lot going on in my brain right now, and I think another area that we want to discuss on this podcast is how much does the mother's diet impact the baby? So when you are pregnant, does what you eat have a big impact on their, I don't know, neurology or their cognition, certain areas? Yes, it does. Um, But we're very lucky in the United Kingdom that we actually, on the whole, eat a pretty good balanced diet, even though it may be a bit too much or some of the wrong micronutrients. But, you know, generally speaking, providing you have enough and a sensible amount of everything, it's not going to have a big effect on your baby's health. The one thing we really we really make an important mark about is, is folate in pregnancy mm. because it is important not only for the problems in terms of the baby's development of the spinal cord and so on, but also for the both growth of the baby because babies with not enough folate may not grow so well. And then on top of that, the most important thing is actually the amount of calories that you eat in terms of if you have a low-calorie diet, your baby may be too small and small babies don't do so well. They may be at risk of infection. They may have problems, long-term problems in terms of lung function and so on. So that's very important. On the other hand, if you eat too much in terms of calories, then your baby may be too big, get much too big in some instances. And then you may have problems in delivery when the baby is just so big it can't be delivered normally. And then big babies tend to go on to be obese adults. So... That's where obesity can start, right at the beginning of life by being born too large. So both ends of the calorie spectrum, folate's very important. If you take the example of people living in low-income countries, Mm -hmm. that's where it really becomes very evident. So not enough calories, but not enough vitamin B12, not enough vitamin D perhaps. Uh, we are we are at risk of vitamin D deficiency in this country oh, too. Oh, I know, yeah. I know. I mean, as recording this episode, I'm not sure when you're listening. Um, hopefully everyone's listening the day it comes out. But if you're um, re-listening back, at the moment in the winter months, we advise you do supplement. Yeah, I think on top of folate, vitamin D, if, you, um, if you're not out in the sunshine, even in the winter, you just can't get enough vitamin D through the sun. So... Quite a lot of supplements. The supplements that you take with multivitamins may not be enough. So, so unofficial recommendations that you can take more without any damage. Um, is uh, you know you need quite a lot of vitamin D on board, and that helps the baby's bones, and helps baby's bone development and long-term bone health. There are so many things. I think one really poignant thing that you said was it's either too little or too much. 
And I think finding that middle ground of what an yeah. actual healthy balanced diet is for a mum to be yeah. can be quite tricky because there's so many confusing messages. There are lots of confusing messages. Mm. If you look on the internet, actually we've just done a study where we've looked at all the information on websites and apps um, in the United Kingdom and so many, many of them have got information which is actually wrong. So... You know, you can't believe everything you read. But the general rule of thumb is eat well, eat a balanced diet, um, lots of fruit and vegetables, fibre, very important, enough vitamins that we're omega talking about. Omega-3 is something I heard as well, which you omega should definitely three, get. Well, omega-3 is important for fetal brain development, mm. eyes. Um, but we have enough in our diet on the whole. I mean, if you have an extreme diet without any fish, without an, any proteins and so on, you might, you may run into deficiency problems, but most people yeah. will be getting enough. You know, you needn't yeah. suddenly start eating those omega-3 eggs or something. Yeah. Most diets will have enough omega-3. That's good to know. I think the concern with, um, cause obviously it's from oily fish or if you're a plant-based eater listening, because I know there's a rise in plant-based diets. Yeah. yeah. Um, perhaps they're not getting enough of those omega-3. So are there any recommendations for plant-based eaters, vegan eaters? Well, yes. I mean, omega-3 in, in terms of, of fish, uh, oily fish is a good thing, but um, otherwise you can take supplements. It won't yeah. do you any harm. Yeah. Uh, but as I say, most people probably are quite sufficient. That's so, so good to know. And we mentioned, we touched on obesity a little bit, so I'd love to delve into it because we know that it is a... A growing problem for the future generations and something we should be addressing. Now, you've mentioned it could potentially be starting in the womb there. So would it be more because the mother perhaps is overweight or is that mm. the diet of the mother? So if you, this is my area of, uh, of research and I've done a lot of this over the years. So if you look at the BMI of a mother, that is, you know, over 30 BMI is, is clinical obesity. But if you look at the BMI, the slippery slope going upwards, um, the BMI is related to the to obesity in the child as the child grows up. So is that something which is happening in utero or is it the effect that's in the womb or is it the effect of the mother eating too much and her family having the wrong sort of diet as she's nurturing the child as the child grows up? We can't really distinguish between the two, but we do know that the mother's BMI at the beginning of pregnancy is an important determinant of obesity in the child, but we don't know exactly what the mechanism is at the moment. I mean, I think for so many women, when we're discussing the subject of weight and BMI, I remember when I was rushed on to the scales <laughs> at my first midwife appointment, and for me that's okay, but it, it can be such a delicate subject. It can be, and, and midwives and health professionals need to treat it very carefully because some people can be very upset. Most most ladies don't realise that having a high BMI or being obese can lead to problems in pregnancy, and it comes as a shock to some people. They feel, feel perfectly well. Yeah. They haven't got any health problems. Um, maybe they think they're just a bit overweight and they don't really appreciate that they might be clinically obese, as we say, which is an awful word, isn't it, really? It is. It's got such a stigma attached it has, now. yeah. Mm. But I do think we have to start being able to talk about obesity like we talk about smoking because we, you know, if we don't point out the problems, then we can be held responsible for not telling people about it and that there are things that you can do. So I think it's responsible of the health professionals to raise the question, but to raise it in a delicate way without offence. And we spend a lot of our time thinking how we're going to talk to our ladies about it. But you know, the, the, the problems that, that women can face if they, if they uh, are 
overweight and obese. For example, diabetes in pregnancy, gestational diabetes. Yes. It's on the up increase. It's it's soaring. Um, and that's because we our population is getting so overweight. So that means, you know, that you can have a baby who is is getting very large in, in the womb. Then the problems are when it comes to birth that it's too big to go through the birth canal. So that leads to cesarean section. So um, about half of our women who are obese have to have a cesarean section. Mm. And it's not always what they want to do. So there's that, there's that problem. Um, and diabetes is not an innocuous disease. So the ladies may end up being on insulin and having to have insulin injections. They may be able to control their diabetes by diet. Um, so it's it's not it's not a pleasant thing to have, and, and most people, really, when they're told they have gestational diabetes, are really shocked that they have a problem because they feel absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, but then they have to restrict their diet and maybe have drugs and so on. So it's not pleasant. And then you know, delivery there's more of a risk of hemorrhage if 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 you are overweight and obese. And this is all risk. It's not that everybody who's no, obese. It's not all doom and A lot gloom, of people. But... <laughs> I mean, seventy percent probably of, of women who are obese have perfectly healthy pregnancies. But it's just relative risk. And and we have as health professionals to need to get across to people what this risk risk is and to have an appreciation of what risk is. Um, but at the moment. Um, about one in one in four or five women who are obese will get some form of gestational diabetes, even if it would be mild gestational diabetes. So yeah. it's, you know, people need to be aware, don't they? Oh, completely. And I think um, it's definitely not something any anybody would choose. So no. if they don't have the awareness, how would they know to even monitor that situation? Yeah. Or... But the, the important message from it is if you are thinking about becoming pregnant and you are overweight or obese, then put off becoming pregnant for a while and try and do something about your weight because it will help everything. It's interesting you say that. So I did a extra um, course at university earlier this year on pre um, preconception nutrition. And we did discuss it's such a delicate subject, but mm -hmm. you have to have it with your clients. You do. Yeah. You do. And it's not just nutrition, it's, it's lifestyle on the whole. So if you're thinking about becoming pregnant, I think most people who are really keen on their health and want to do well, they will think about folate, and that's incredibly important. But, you know, how about how much alcohol you're drinking, um, which also puts on the calories. And can it, can it affect fertility, the amount of alcohol consumed? Yeah, yeah. and the fertility, the, the obesity, um, smoking, of course. Uh, you know, we, we some studies in the United Kingdom and the world have shown that if a mother smokes in pregnancy, you can pick that up in the DNA, the genes of the baby, when the baby is an adult. So whether that's having a long-term effect on health may well do, and we know it can do through small birth weight and so on, but the fact that you can pick up this mark on the baby's genes when that baby is going to adulthood is really shocking to most people, I think, and that, you know, it, it, it may be causing ill health. So the long-term effects... Are, are very important, not just the acute effects of having yeah. a healthy, bouncy baby, but the potential for uh, affecting long-term health. 
mm. and also on the, the other side, that long-term disease. But oh, yes. what we want to do is to promote health, of course. We do, and I think um, you mentioned, I mean, your career is expansive. You've got so many fascinating areas of research that you, you work with, and it's incredibly rewarding. But equally, you said you did a lot of research and you've looked into preconception a lot yes. and how important it is, perhaps. I think you yes. said to think about it first. Well, I think my, my experience, you know, I've, I've done a big study in ladies who are overweight and obese, and um, we tried very hard to help them change their lifestyle and their diet and, um, and their physical activity. Activity, which we haven't mentioned yet. Yes, we keep should. keep walking, ladies. Mm-hmm. Keep keep doing exercise. Keep Don't stop. <laughs> you know you need to be fit, uh, which can help your blood sugar too. So that's really good. Even if you if you have a bit of high blood blood sugar, glucose will go down if you exercise. So that's really good. But um, you you know you 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 really need to think about uh, about your health before pregnancy. It is so important. And if, if we do that and everybody were to do that and to become fit for pregnancy, then a lot of the problems we see uh, during pregnancy would, would disappear. And in my study that I was mentioning, um, the ladies did change their diet quite a bit and they, they, they did improve their exercise quite a bit, but it wasn't enough. Mm. And so there was no reduction in diabetes in the ladies. We hoped we would by suggesting a healthy lifestyle reduce the risk of diabetes and we didn't and really there are a lot of studies across the world which have shown the same thing it's worth doing because you can improve your diet and mm. you can prevent too much weight gain good which is also a mm. good habit for life and in fact we've just shown that three years later the mothers are still have an improved diet so that's great so that's they're probably great. feeding their children a better diet yes. influencing the family environment but yeah. you know what we have all thought across the world, I had a meeting this week about this, in fact, with people from Australia and wow. Denmark and all over, and we think that, you know, we really do need to start helping people before they're pregnant. And then, you know, you've only got nine months in pregnancy to improve your health, but you've got several years maybe before you become pregnant to really think about pregnancy. So you have a longer time to adjust your lifestyle oh, as doing pregnancy. Very, very true and fascinating. I think it must be incredible to live a day in your life with the amount of new emerging research, the different voices you speak to. Have you seen the guidelines around pregnancy change over the years um, immensely? They, well, about nutrition, no, not really. Mm. Um, certainly about weight management. Yes. So we are very keen to help prevent people putting on too much weight during pregnancy. Mm. Um and that is where the lifestyle advice comes in. But, you know, it does, we are suggesting that it's really difficult to prevent these complications just by lifestyle interventions. Well, it's opinions, isn't it? Because yeah. I, I'm a big advocate of exercise. I mean, it does change when you're pregnant how you feel. Yeah. Of course it does. You don't feel like it so <laughs> no, much. <laughs> especially in the first trimester. I mean, you just got to do what you can. Don't put pressure on yourself, I think. But I have received lots of, you know, positive and negative comments online for showcasing I, I'm keen to keep exercising. I think there's still that old wives tale that you have to sit still. Yeah, well, that is absolutely not right. <laughs> no. And how long, I mean, can you go up until your due date? Yeah, absolutely. You... Good. Uh, some, some of my colleagues in, in uh, St. Thomas's Hospital did a study of the, the park runs and they, they, they um, got questionnaire data from ladies who'd been involved in it and their pregnancy outcomes and there's no evidence of, of any abnormality at all. And these were people who were running. I'm not suggesting everybody who goes it's pregnant should go out yeah, running immediately. Runner, but. <laughs> and, but if you've been running, there's no reason why you shouldn't carry on running. And, yeah. you know, if you like walking, just keep walking, but, but, but don't stop. Obviously, contact sports you wouldn't want to do. You know, lady rugby players <laughs> probably should stop. No. <laughs> 
but uh, otherwise it's common sense and I think the body tells you more or less what you what you should be doing oh, or not you feel, you feel it if you overdo it don't yeah, you yeah and I think my aches and different because I'm noticing expansion now around my yeah. middle you know all these kind of different ligament pains yeah. and things but I ache less when I'm on the move yes Yes, and it, it certainly helps you, your muscle strength and uh, mm. to helps you support your baby. So all, all good reasons for, for, for keeping the exercise up. And that leads me on nicely to the next question, which is about the current age that we're giving birth. Um, I was reading a book. I've recently come back from my honeymoon and oh, she is a midwife that wrote a book and she was saying that the number of people having babies in teens is now lower than mm. um, women 35 plus. So I know we're all unique and it's very difficult to put a number or an age limit on anything. But is there an age when our bodies are best suited to it? I mean, as, as, <laughs> as an academic, I would say you can't generalise because it's different exactly. for everybody. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the quality of the eggs, the oocytes, which is very important when you want a healthy embryo, deteriorates with age. Um, the average age that women are giving birth in the United Kingdom is just over 30 at the moment, mm. which is quite high, and it's gone up over the years. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, I, it is understandable why people delay childbirth, mm. but then one does have to understand that, that there can be terrible disappointment about infertility, terrible disappointments that you think you'll still be fertile and you're not. Um, and then there, there are all the complications that we know of in pregnancy, nearly all of them increase with age. So preeclampsia, which is another uh, very horrible condition which occurs in pregnancy, but fortunately we pick it up, usually pick it up early and Do we deal with it. you explain to our listeners what preeclampsia yeah. is? So preeclampsia is a, is a complication in pregnancy which can be very serious, uh, where women get uh, very high blood pressure and uh, there's protein in the urine, which is what we test for. Uh, but it's a lot more than that. Uh, it can lead to fits, so that eclampsia means a fit, and like like an epileptic fit, um, and it can lead to blood clots, which can be fatal. So that is very unusual. We hardly ever yeah. lose ladies to preeclampsia yeah. in this country. You certainly do in Africa, where we also work. But uh, we pick it up early because we pick up the blood pressure. And the, the, the main outcome of it in, in the UK is that we may have to deliver the baby early. So you may have yeah. a slightly premature baby. Um, but it is dangerous. And I mean, the problem with, with, with all of, as I say, all of these disorders like preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, they all go up with age. Yes. And I think, uh, obviously, it's very difficult because you want to be positive and you want to say but you know, everyone has a good story of someone that got pregnant when they were 40 or they were 37 or these various ages. But realistically, it's the old saying, there's never the right time for anything in life, really, no. is there? So. No, I mean, fertility certainly goes down quite dramatically after about 35, certainly IVF ceases to work so well um, uh, in, in older women, particularly over the age of 35. But for an individual, you can't say, it's impossible to say because of the wide biological variation. Mm. But if you take a population study, as it were, then then uh, oocyte quality yeah. uh, goes down as the and age goes And it's fascinating up. if you look at the biology of the female body and the fact the age that we get periods, you know, the, the yeah. biological function versus how society's evolved mm -hmm. and changed over time. Exactly. We're fighting a very difficult, especially for women, this is a little bit off topic, but <laughs> we want to empower women with, with the opportunities that are there now, equal rights, exactly. careers, Yet we are still fighting a biological clock that men just don't have. Oh, yeah. it's a bit well, unfair. 
It is. Um, it does seem unfair, and and it's extreme. I mean, I'm a you know I, I employ lots of women who are you know keen on a career. They're keen on having a family, and we all know that it's jolly difficult to juggle it all. And yeah. one has to be understanding, but. You know, if I I would recommend to people, if you possibly can have your children younger. Then go for it. Then go for it. But it's obviously we all understand the practical problems, yes. the financial problems, you know, the double mortgage oh, or what gosh, have you. Yeah. yeah. So it's not easy for anybody. No. It, it, it's, I'm not going into the feminist question. <laughs> no, here. no. But, but <laughs> from the biological perspective, obviously, um, yeah. the, the younger you are, not not in terms of adolescence, I may say. No. But uh, certainly in your 20s and uh, late 20s, then if you can, go if for you can, it. If you can, go for it. Um, I think that's very good advice, actually. Let, let's focus on the men for a little bit. Yes, why not? Yes, I think it's a good idea. Um, should we be focusing on an input that a, a father can have throughout pregnancy? Yes. What can they do? I mean, I think a lot of the, the work that we as researchers have done in the past has ignored the fathers far too much. Um, I mean, certainly biologically, the older the father, the father, the less the quality of the sperm, but it doesn't go off quite so soon as it done it doing women no. but but sperm quality does does go off with age and certainly if the father has, has an unhealthy lifestyle particularly if they are obese then sperm quality will be compromised so if you've got a, a, a poorly functioning oocyte the egg and the father's sperm then obviously the chances of a healthy embryo and the, and the and the pregnancy are, are lessened um, so there are a lot of studies in in father's sperm and and uh, why the the damage may occur to the sperm and so on and it goes up with age yeah. but the other thing is to support the family in terms yes. of the general lifestyle so yes. it's extremely difficult if you're the mother and you are doing the cooking maybe you're not maybe the father is <laughs> um, but to to have that family feel of a healthy lifestyle and if one of the the partnership doesn't want to take part in that, then it's extremely difficult to create the right sort of nutritional family environment. So we do need to be thinking about the family. We need to be thinking about the difficulties in buying a good, healthy food. You know, it can be very expensive. Um, I'm very much involved in, in uh, government. With uh, I work for Public Health England on nutrition. I'm on their committee for nutrition in pregnancy and childhood and and we appreciate all of those issues and, and we as uh, you know in in government need to think about how we can help people to have a healthy a healthy diet which isn't too expensive well thank goodness we have people like you out there <laughs> looking out for us because that's exactly why we needed you on this episode because it's never straightforward there's the question of um privilege different you know socioeconomic groups where where you live that there's so many factors aren't there that can impact the decisions we make and I think going back to preconception as well, it's not just all on the women because no. I hear this all the time. Exactly, the men are fifty percent responsible. Yes, yes, and uh, you know, alcohol—certainly, uh, uh, profound alcohol consumption by men can affect sperm quality as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 a, you know united, isn't it? United efforts, and and one should think about the yeah. family rather than the individual. Completely. One area that, um, and then I'll move on to the next question. That I've actually got some friends currently that are going to sperm donor banks because they're they're late thirties, they haven't really met the right partner. Mm. And they want to do it themselves, which is quite remarkable. But but there are options out there, aren't there, for so many people that don't perhaps have a yes. man in their life these yes. days. Yes. 
Yes, I, you know, I've, I've, I know somebody who's done just that and has a lovely girl who I'm very fond of um, and a very supportive community environment. I, I do think you have to think about where your support's going to come from and where, you know, where your income's going to yep, come common from. Common sense again all, must all, prevail. All the pragmatic things, mm. you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not rocket science, is it? One has to think about that. The responsibility that it involves is huge. It is huge. Um, but having a supportive family, um, immediate supporting family or general family, you know, yeah. all those things are so important. If, if one takes that circle. decision. A hundred percent. Now, I was doing some research and read that around one in four births now in the UK are by C-section, which I, I found quite fascinating. But obviously, as we've discussed before, perhaps obesity does contribute to this mm, um, does, yeah. particular stat. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So what are the best ways, if you can give our listeners some tips on, on how to heal themselves? What should they be looking out for here? How does this happen? Well, it's like any wound, you know, you have to care for the wound and um, be just sensible in terms of personal hygiene. Uh, obesity is a problem here because um, the wound from a cesarean section, from any other any other wound, can is more likely to become in, infected if if you are obese because there's more tissue to heal, it takes longer to to heal sometimes. So and and you know to be uh, alert to the signs of infection, redness and and around the stitches and and so on and afterwards, because that can become quite nasty. And of course to seek uh, medical help help if, if, if necessary but yeah. uh, it's like anything else it's your body is telling you if it's painful you know lie down rest um and and but you know once you're up and going get the exercise going and and, and the muscle strength so you have to repair the muscles as well as that is the skin well that's just it and what you've just described does not sound remotely favorable or glamour glamorous whereas for some reason there seems to be this um new popularity in people opting or paying for to have C-sections. I don't know, um, obviously, no judgment to any mum. They have the right to choose how they want to have their child. 
But is there a benefit, if possible, we know these things, I don't know if I'm going to end up having a C-section. Is there a benefit for a natural birth via a C-section? There's a lot of benefit for a natural birth. Um, so, the, you know, what, these days we're very interested in the microbiome, yes. all, all, all the bugs and, and the bugs that the baby acquires are going th- through the vaginal canal and pick up the mother's bugs. And uh, there is some evidence and it's not absolutely, you know, set in, 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 in stone at the moment. But there is some evidence that that, that may influence long term health of the child and the, an yeah. infection in the child. Um so in terms of breastfeeding initiation, sometimes that can be difficult too when you've had a cesarean section because all the stimuli to the initial lactation uh, are not there. So it That's takes a while. It takes a while to, sometimes to initiate uh, to breastfeeding, but no, it's not. You know, it's not a yeah. major issue. Um, and of course, you can have perfectly healthy child and perfectly healthy mother. So of course, but but but. And the next pregnancy can be it can be a problem um, if you've had a cesarean section, and we are now promoting vaginal delivery after cesarean section when when possible. So people who've had a cesarean section, you needn't think you've got to have another cesarean section. It can be perfectly safe to have a vaginal delivery after that. Talk to your obstetrician if you want to do that. Um, and you know, as a um, well, my clinical colleagues will will everybody's trying to get down the cesarean section rate uh, because it is healthier on the whole to have a vaginal delivery. Yeah, but it's not the end of the world if you don't. No, of course, <laughs> and it's reassuring to hear that people have a choice second time yeah. around. You know, obviously every case is unique. You, you, you yeah. could have. I don't know, colostomy bag or Crohn's or some some different condition, which means you have to have a different type of birth or mm. monitoring. There's so mm. many factors, aren't there, yeah, that can impact things. And I think the type of birth that people are opting for, I'm finding it fascinating. So I'm at the stage now where I'm sure in the next week or two I'll be asked, how do you want to give birth? Where mm. do you want to give birth? Water births, home births, hospital <laughs> deliveries? I, I mean, is there a preferable one? <laughs> <laughs> I, um, personal opinion, I think one should have a baby in hospital but then that's mm-hmm. me and a lot of my <laughs> colleagues will well I mean the evidence is not really there for that that's just just my, my personal decision yeah. because truthfully as somebody said to me the other day there's no normal labor until it's over um but if you if you've if you've had several babies beforehand you know the risk is really really low and uh, home deliveries are by the basis of evidence absolutely fine um but there is always that lingering doubt that you might have to have an emergency something so i would be i, yes. would, go, I would go on the safety side but there's no evidence for that's a personal opinion everybody out there oh, completely <laughs> yes you have to make your own decision definitely yeah. i think um we can be bombarded by some people saying you have to do this or you have to do that or i did this therefore you the worst thing you can do is go by anecdotal advice so i think all of our listeners should know by now that we're an evidence-based podcast we don't have any judgment, but please Which remember Which is why I'm saying unique. that's a personal opinion. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think just to also question the fertility rate one more time, because I think one in seven couples now in the UK are really struggling. It's quite a high figure. Have you seen this rising personally in your practice, in your work? Well, I don't practice in, I don't practice in clinical medicine, but I, but I work with several professors who are in IVF. I, I know what they're all doing. Um, there's been an a, a, an increased need, and it, the increased need is through age and through obesity mm. on the whole, um, and 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 through through problems with fallopian tube obstruction, through chlamydia infection, and so on. So there's there's quite a lot of that. Um, yeah, there's been a, there is an increase, and uh, but and I, the other thing I think one one needs to point out is that 
uh, to be aware of clinics who will tell you that largely private clinics will tell you what the success rate is you need to look at the denominator in their statistics because they will often take out older women or um, yes. you know so you've got to look carefully and and uh, it doesn't always work um so the success rate is better than it's ever been but it's uh, it's still you know quite low really so and, and it can take again, several attempts it can take, can't it? It can take several attempts yeah and it's a very expensive thing. I think I heard, now you can correct me if, if, if I'm wrong here, that in each borough that you live in or different counties... There'll be a different number of cycles you get funded. Yeah. Which is so yeah. interesting. Yeah. So um, the NHS can offer a certain amount of IVF yeah. or support, but it does depend where you live. So it's a postcode lottery. I think that is still the case, yes. Right. I mean, maybe a little out of date on that, but yeah. That's yeah. Certainly, yeah. I, I think um, in terms of knowing options out there, it's just so important to remember that equally, just as much as when you get pregnant, one thing that terrified me was that the first thing the doctor said to me when I went was, one in four ended miscarriage. That's the first thing that I heard, which was quite an alarming, mm. <laughs> alarming thing to hear when you go to the mm. doctor. I mean, why is that? One in four IVF births. Or um, no, no, general normal births. Normal yes. births. So miscarriage, yeah, miscarriage, it, it's worth thinking about what, what we know about the, the causes of miscarriage. Mm. Certainly miscarriages go up. Uh, the risk of miscarriage goes up with age again. So that's, yeah. that's, that's another issue. The risk of miscarriage goes up with obesity and it goes up with gestational diabetes and some other underlying conditions like type 1 diabetes and chronic hypertension and so on, uh, people who've got renal problems. So so there are a lot of conditions which are associated with miscarriage. The, the, probably the commonest cause is chromosomal abnormalities. Mm-hmm. So this is not, not you know, genes, it's not, a, it's not thought to be hereditary. I mean, there seems to be a small hereditary element to it, but it's not basically what it is. Um, so it's when the cells in the dividing embryo don't divide properly and then... The chromosomes are abnormal and, 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 you know, fortunately, probably um, that will often end in miscarriage. Otherwise, you know, then we do know that congenital malformations can lead to children with real problems. So so the worst chromosomal abnormalities then that, that, that leads ends in miscarriage are perfectly normal. It's almost like nature's it's way nature's of saying. It's nature's way of saying, yeah. you know, this this is not a survival fetus. Mm. Um there are some other conditions, clotting disorders, which are uh, something called antiphospholipid syndrome, which is associated with recurrent miscarriage. Um, if, a, if a mother has uh, repeated miscarriages, she may have a test for that. And then uh, if that's the case and they're found, found to have these antibodies, then uh, low-dose aspirin and low-molecular weight heparin uh, can help maintain the pregnancy. So that's one good thing that they've yeah. been found out relatively recently. Um and then infections uh, can can lead so to miscarriage. Much. So there's there's a lot of, there's a lot of a lot of potential reasons, um, yeah. uh, but there's no real preventative measure other than, as I say, um, low dose aspirin. But equally, um, I mean, it's it's devastating when it can happen to someone, and it's something that's so natural yet. I still don't think there's enough talk in society about no. miscarriage. It's so common. One in four is, is a lot. And I remember I was scared in the first 12 weeks. You know. I mean, a lot of miscarriages aren't, aren't even noticed by people. Yeah. So one in four, I think, is the estimate for the ones which include the ones which are not noticed by people. So they don't even know you've been pregnant no. at all. So um, the later miscarriages are less frequent than one in four. Yeah. But... 
Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it's an also social thing, isn't it? I think in other, some societies it's far more accepted than others. But here it's, you know, I'm going to have a baby or everything yeah. wonderful. And then, so then planned. it's so planned and, and then it is a terrible, terrible disappointment, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think um, for anyone out there, there's a lot of support now if you have been through a miscarriage. I think even if you ask your GP, they can give you some wonderful resources because it is so common. And we were chatting at the beginning about um, some ongoing research you're currently involved in which is literally from is it from womb to childhood yes, yeah could you tell our listeners about this before we move on so this, this is i mentioned this earlier this is the the idea that you know health begins um actually not in pregnancy but even before pregnancy in preconception when you're preparing yeah. your ovaries or your sperm for for, for, for parenthood um, so we know, you know, if you look at the UO sites, the eggs of a mother who is obese, you, you can look at them before she's become pregnant and they will show signs of some signs, minor signs of abnormality, not abnormalities, poor function, you know, mm. not, not really disease. Um, so, yes, the suggestion is that health starts then, um, a healthy pregnancy, a healthy infancy. And if you get it all right, you will avoid potentially avoid a lot of the problems of adult disease and we're talking about diabetes obesity mm. high blood pressure perhaps obviously the environments in which you are nurtured and live is hugely important but you, you know, mentioned it, pollution yeah, and that's yeah. something i was so yeah. interested to hear yeah so um yeah it is very worrying uh that the, the knowledge that we have on pollution and, and and the accuracy with which we can measure it now has led to quite a lot of studies um looking at, at the pollution when women are pregnant and and infants and we can't say it's causal but there is quite a strong relationship between the level of pollution where someone lives or or their habitual activities walking on roads and so on and small birth weight, smaller birth weight, and uh, some idea that there may be an increase in premature birth. Um, mechanistically, we don't understand that. But, uh, for example, uh, pollution can lead to, some people say, to small particles getting into the blood. Maybe they get into the placenta. We don't know that, but that's one theory. Um, but it, we don't understand exactly what's happening. And then the chemicals in pollution, obviously, are potentially damaging to um, blood oxygenation and the, and the blood supply to, to the fetus. So the fetus would be seeing perhaps less oxygen or, or, or molecules which are potentially harmful in terms of blood flow and so on. So we don't really understand it yet, no. but those associations are increasingly reported. Um, and uh, and I do think it's really concerning. I agree. Just hearing you uh, discuss that, actually, for me, it reminds me of an episode we've done before on pollution, and we, we do know it does have such a huge impact on health now. It's just an area that we're starting to document and research mm. more. But as a mum-to-be, I'm constantly thinking, I mean, the bane of my life is getting the tube into work in the morning. It's unavoidable for so many of us. Anyone wafts a cigarette smoke my way or a car exhaust and I'm trying to hold my breath walking down the road. Mm. It really just seems unavoidable sometimes. It's so tricky. It is really difficult. I mean, we've known about smoking for a long time oh, yes. and passive smoking. And oh. it's, you know, it's really, it's an extension of that, isn't it? So smokers... Um, or even indeed passive smokers, uh, their, their baby's size can be affected. I mean, I have to say, and this is this is my opinion, but I, uh, I mean, it's an educated opinion. I detest cigarette smoke. I feel 
it made my morning sickness in the first three months worse. Worse. Mm. I could not walk down the street without noticing someone mm. outside their office block just mm. having a cigarette. Mm. And I mentioned this to a particular um, family member who was like, oh, but it's got so much better since my day. And I was like, has it really? Mm. I mean, I'm sure it has, but even Certainly for me... in the workplace. In and, the workplace. And, and, and transported as yes. Of course, but it's still such a... When you're exposed to something you have no control over... Uh, it's and that is, that is the infuriating thing. It is that very it's not, infuriating. Nothing to do with you. No. I mean, in terms of, of pollution, I you know there are things. If if you do walk along a a busy main road, you, there's a lot of difference between the pollution at the curbside and pollution actually at the, the other side of the pavement. Yes. So work walk on the inside, and if you have a baby, you know who again it might affect the baby's lung development. Of course. You know, don't push your pram right out onto the edge of of, of the no. curb. Keep it behind you or keep it beside you. You know, just small things like that. If you did that habitually, then the exposure would probably be less. But again, I must say this is not necessarily causality. We must no. be careful. Yes. There is association. And the causality would have to be proven in some other way mm. um, by, with biological biomarkers of pollution or something showing direct We need a lot more we, research. a lot more research needed yeah. on it. And, you know, people can jump to conclusions about, about sort of flame retardants and so on, as some suggest, you know, but we we must bear this in mind as not as, as being in the research arena of as opposed course. to being hardcore evidence. But And the NHS are on it, I think, because at my oh, yeah. midwife appointment, I had to, because I live in central London, I had a carbon monoxide test. And thankfully, it was it was all fine. But they are actually starting yeah. to monitor that. Yes, and carbon monoxide is you know the, the, one of the molecules which can reduce the, the the blood oxygen supply to the baby, and certainly that's probably what's happening partly in smoking. Mm. Also, the actual chemicals in in cigarette smoke are, are are can be damaging. Yes. Well, I think that's been one of the most informative bulk of our episodes that we've had. Thank you. But it does move me on to some questions we've had from the audience. Yes, so of course. You won't have been privy to these actually and um, it's always very hard for us health professionals to give out any form of advice so let's just see how we go with these so Fiona has said my partner and I are looking to have a baby how much time do you need to give between coming off contraception and trying for a baby (laughs) I mean it you know well it can happen immediately (laughs) (laughs) there you go Fiona it could be straight away (laughs) yeah and other people it will not be so there's there's no hard and fast rule about that yeah we were having this discussion earlier I was actually sharing with Lucilla that I thought it would take me a year at least to get pregnant and then it happened straight away so I guess I'm one of the lucky ones your fertility can be improved very quickly (laughs) yes Um, Jennifer has said I've been a vegetarian for the last 10 years but now that I'm pregnant I'm worried that this diet won't be offering the required nutrients what can I do am I right yes I mean the, 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 the biggest potential complication about about um being being vegan mm. is is lack of red meat um we're not saying you eat a lot of red meat but then that means iron yeah and um if you're vegan you probably know about that anyhow but have your hemoglobin checked um we don't routinely give iron supplements to to all pregnant women because you know the majority of women don't need them and if you do take them unnecessarily it can cause problems so you only really need to take iron if you are iron deficient um, so have you have your haemoglobin checked yeah. because anemia in pregnancy um, it can obviously make you feel very tired. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but also you have less reserve when it comes to delivery and uh, 
the potential you know if you, everybody loses some blood at delivery and then you might take some a bit blood of, was very nicely yeah, worded yeah, there, some I'm blood sure. at delivery. Not, not, not a huge amount always <laughs> but some blood. good but but um and you know you clot very quickly yes. usually so it's not great too, but but uh if, if you are anemic it can take take you longer to recover from that and and you might need transfusion and so on so just you know all these checks health checks yeah. before you become pregnant really important um and to take the the the, the, the multivitamin yes. uh you know there's there's most of the vitamins in that have some homeopathic dose but the important ones are vitamin d um and uh, folate that's good very good to know now mia has oh okay so mia i think this is a question we answered earlier but i want to have a water birth but my husband feels this is unsafe is it risky the evidence doesn't suggest that. Good. There we go. Straightforward answer there, Mia. Go for your water birth if you enjoy. I mean, if you have complications <laughs> in pregnancy, I don't think anybody would recommend that you had a, you had a water birth. But if no. you had perfectly normal pregnancy, then yeah. there is no evidence against. There we go. Now, Matty has said, "I'm a week overdue. What exactly can help induce the baby?" Oh, I've heard all sorts of wives' <laughs> tales here, Lisa. I just, should I have a curry? Should Nothing. I bounce? <laughs> Nothing. There we go. <laughs> no miracle. No, um, normally women would be delivered 10 days after, two weeks after uh, due dates. Um, what you, the thing to do, actually, if you are over dates is to, to, to keep an eye on your fetal movements. You know when your baby's kicking. Um, the risk of stillbirth goes up post-dates, but not just a few days or a week afterwards. But um, I think, you know, one of the responsibilities a woman can do is to, is to be aware of the baby's yeah. fetal movements. And if you are worried, then 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 act on it. Don't yeah. sit around. Um, but it's, you know, a week, a few days. It's very common, yeah. particularly in first pregnancies. Um, and okay. most people don't do anything until 10, to 10 okay. days. Yeah. There we go. And just on the subject of kicking, um, I know that can start in pregnancy as well at various <clears> points. <throat> Mine started at week 17 which is apparently is quite early i've got some friends who didn't feel a thing till week 25 you're gonna have a, gonna have a football player i know <laughs> i know and i'm starting to really feel that now but um it's so interesting to so remember you are unique as well and then the last question lily has said i've never suffered of constipation until i got pregnant yeah that is common sadly the reason for that is um that uh the, the the gut is made up of smooth muscle which um smooth muscle all relaxes in pregnancy and it, it also you retain more water when you're pregnant so yeah. your stools are probably a little more solid so drink a lot that's and have drink a lot and fiber in the diet uh both will will help but it is i'm afraid a, a common problem that's my favourite F word, by the way, fibre. I feel it comes up on nearly every podcast at the moment, which is good. And another F, actually, moving on to the best bit, which is our fact or fiction round. Okay. So, Lucilla, are you ready? You have to <laughs> Absolutely <answer>. ready. <laughs> it's hard as a health professional, I'm telling you. It's very hard. Um, okay. For first-time mums, the average time in labour is one to two hours. <laughs> there we go. Fact or fiction? I, I'm afraid I don't know the answer to that, but I can I can pretty much guess that it's hugely variable from my experience. Um, you cannot you cannot put a figure on that. I really. wish that's going to be my experience. Seventy five percent of women successfully have a vaginal birth after C section. That's correct. You can't travel in your third trimester. That well, it depends on how you define travel. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so um, you can, but going on aeroplanes after I think it's 36 weeks, okay. you're not supposed to travel. Uh, I wouldn't recommend going anywhere at that stage for travel because it's very tiring and everything else. And um, uh, But... Uh, you can certainly move around. Yeah, yeah. You, you could definitely, you can yeah. definitely walk. But airlines do have, I, I think it is said six weeks. Now, oh, they, they do something. ask. They've they been asking ask, me yeah. when I went yeah. away. How yeah. many weeks are you? Yeah. Uh, morning sickness only happens in the morning. That's not true. <laughs> Don't we know it? You can't dye your hair while you're pregnant. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm, I know this is fiction. I, that, absolute <laughs> fiction. I, I, I've never heard anything about that at all, so I don't know where that one came no. from. No. Raw fish is safe to eat when pregnant. Uh, there is some problem about uh, particularly shellfish, so um, in relation to infection. yeah. So it's much better, actually, for everything to be cooked. cooked. Most couples get pregnant within six months to a year. That is probably true. The baby blues depressive mindset post childbirth is normal. It's normal in that it does happen. Uh, it's not normal for everybody. Um, it is quite common. Uh, it is potentially quite serious. Um, it doesn't necessarily happen to people who've had previous mental health problems. It can come completely out of the blue. All I can say about that is it does happen, which means that it's it's normal. But if it does happen to you, then get some help. Don't mm. don't don't try and sort it out yourself because there's some very, very good people out there who can help you and, and make life a lot better. There are. And again, like the miscarriage subject, so I'm totally interrupting our fast, fast fire round, but it it's serious to talk about something that can be so upsetting and affects your mental health. So yeah, it, it can, be, it can be devastating. Yeah. I work with a fantastic team in the Institute of uh, Psychiatry in, in, in London um, and they have a big group there, the perinatal mental health group, and they, they're doing some brilliant work right across the country. And we, the, the government is now uh, making sure that all big hospitals have clinics for, for, for women who've had uh, perinatal mental health problems. So it's coming right up to the top of, of, of the NHS care uh, alertness. And, oh, so and yeah, um, much more, I hope, will be now done for women who have mental health problems. It's not just postpartum, it's also in pregnancy, uh, really quite common. Um, but don't think you're out there alone. You're not. <laughs> yeah. um, but seek seek help. And the, there will be increasing numbers of people out there to help you if, if this government initiative is, in, is introduced, which it will be. Oh, lovely to hear that. And the last question. There are more mothers giving birth in their 40s than teens. Yeah, I think that is true now. Yeah. Yeah. Very good fact or fiction round there. Thank you so, so much. That was brilliant. So that does nearly wrap up this episode. But with every single guest... We leave with a food for thought. So mine today would be that when it comes to pregnancy and childbirth, I think knowledge can be quite powerful. Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Equip now, yourself with knowledge. Yes, equip yourself with the knowledge and know that it's all too common just to focus on the negative symptoms that come with everything, whereas actually... I mean, I've found it quite useful to focus on being in awe of the breathtaking changes. Yes. So whenever I feel an ache or a pain, I think, yeah. oh, my body is amazing. But <laughs> yes, it is amazing. Yeah, what it goes quite through amazing. just blows my mind. But we need to keep, as we said, a healthy diet and movement in if you can, however hard this may be. But just really think of the benefits that it can have for you and your baby and alongside a supportive network with 
endless benefits there as well. Keep those close to you updated on how you feel and how your development is throughout pregnancy. Now, I would love you, Lissa, to leave our listeners, if that's okay, with a take-home message, something you feel would be invaluable Mm. to them, any resources. Well, I think what I would say is, and touching on what we said earlier about the, 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 the complexity and diversity of information which is available on the internet, I'm going to offer you a really reliable source. Great. I am the Tommy's charity professor for um, their London Centre oh, at St Thomas's Hospital and King's College London and we um, as a team, my team work with them a lot on getting evidence-based information on their website. So whatever you read on the Tommy's website it comes from a good source um, and actually on there at the moment there's a questionnaire about fitness for pregnancy for people who are considering it so there's a sort of tick box and you can go through and and, and see if if you if you tick those boxes which are are, are good for a healthy pregnancy and we're, we're working on some research on that too so that that's really interesting but what you'll find is information about diabetes in pregnancy information about miscarriage information about um obesity healthy diet um if you're a young mother for example, and they also have a a, a helpline uh, as well. Fantastic service for uh, our pregnant ladies in the United Kingdom. So do take advantage um, because it's good advice. It's free, it's online. It's free, it's it's online. Evidence-based. And it's written by people who know what they're talking about. So, um, you know, it's reassuring. Um, And also one other thing I may add one more is that um, we've done some work on speaking up. And and that's why if you are equipped with the knowledge, some knowledge, and you think something is going wrong, then you should speak to your health professionals. I think there's still this thing, you know, that health professionals will know best, but they won't know unless you tell them what you're feeling like. And if you are worried, uh, it may be, it's usually perfectly all right, but you may just, uh, you know, help you, your baby, if you, if you, if you speak up and say, uh, express your worries. Um, actually, Tommy's have got a really nice little video clip which is on YouTube about that, and it's been looked at by many thousands of people um, who found it helpful. So, mm. you know, go ahead, say what you're feeling. Nobody minds. They're all there to help and listen. Yeah. What a lovely, positive, and uplifting way to finish that informative episode. I honestly know how busy you are and how many incredible, wonderful things you're doing for us all. So, thank you for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Very good to talk to you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there to reach those higher highs in the charts and to help more people. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.